Good morning and welcome to 40 Days of Prayer. We are so very glad that all of you are here. Uh, Some of you may be wondering, well, why are we doing something like 40 Days of Prayer? And the answer is very simple. Uh, We want to help you become more spiritually mature. 40 Days of Prayer is a spiritual growth campaign. Spiritual growth is what 40 Days of Prayer is really all about. Uh, Most of your problems... They, they come from spiritual immaturity. See, when we're not spiritually mature, we make dumb decisions. Can I get a witness? Uh, we, we make decisions based on our feelings, which is a, a terrible way to live because your feelings are wrong a lot of the time. Mature people make decisions based on truth, not feelings. And so to do what's mature, that means we need truth, and, and that means we need to grow spiritually in order to live wisely, in order to live well. So the question today is, do you really want to grow up? See, the Bible tells us that growth is God's will for your life. Uh, We just got done with some parent-child dedications a few moments ago, and babies are cute, right? But when a child doesn't grow up, that's not cute. That's tragic. That's tragic. It's possible to grow old and not grow up. And all of us know older people who are spiritually and emotionally immature. God does not want that for our lives. God wants us to grow spiritually. And so that's why we are doing a spiritual growth campaign. That's what a spiritual growth campaign is about. Growth is God's will. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians 4, verses 14 and 15, this is in the Phillips paraphrase, I love this, we are not meant to remain as children at the mercy of every chance wind of teaching. We are meant to hold firmly to the truth in love and to grow up in every way into Christ. See, we're meant to grow up. How? Well, Paul says into Christ. And that tells us that maturity looks like Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate picture of maturity, and that tells us that spiritual maturity, you boil it down to its essence, is this, becoming more like Jesus. See, 40 days of prayer is built on six laws of spiritual growth. Uh, You're going to start looking at prayer specifically in your daily devotionals tomorrow, your small groups this week. But before we, we get into the subject of prayer next Sunday... I want to help you understand today why we are doing this spiritual campaign. You see, there are laws of spiritual growth that you cannot violate. God designed the universe, for example, on physical laws like gravity, second uh, law of thermodynamics, all those laws that actually make the universe work. And God has also created spiritual laws for our lives. See, if you want to grow, you have to cooperate with those laws. So here's the first one. You can write this down. And your message notes, we grow when we feed on God's word. You see, the Bible is food for your soul. You cannot be physically healthy if you eat junk food all the time. You cannot be spiritually healthy unless you feed on God's word. And just ask, how healthy would you be if every Sunday after church you headed on from here straight over Uh, to Golden Corral, and you went there, and you gorged yourself on all the organic, clean, locally sourced food they serve at that fine dining establishment. And then after that, you did not eat anything else for the rest of the week. How healthy would you be? Not 
very healthy, right? See, if you only feed your soul once a week at church, you're going to be spiritually weak. You're not going to have the spiritual strength you need to truly follow God. In Matthew 4, 4, Jesus says, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that's what God wants you to do. Feed on his word every day. See, we want to help you develop that habit, whether it's five or 10 or 15 minutes a day. In Acts 20, 32, uh, the apostle Paul says, the word of his grace, and that's the gospel message we find in the Bible, it is able to build you up and give you the blessings God has for all his people. Would you like to have all the blessings that God has for all of his people? Well, as your pastor, I want you to have those blessings, and that's why we're doing this campaign. See, how do you get those blessings? Well, it says right here, the word of his grace will build you up. When you're mature, that's when God can give you all the blessings he has for you. Uh, We all know that there are some gifts that we we cannot give a baby or a young child because those gifts would destroy them. They're not ready for them. And similarly, God has gifts he wants to give you, but he's waiting for you to grow up. And this happens as you get into God's word, as you read the Bible. Now, how do you feed on the word of God? We talk about this in our Discovery 201 class. Um, There are six ways that you can get a grip on God's word. We use the hand to illustrate that. And those ways are this. We we hear God's word. That's like the pinky. Uh, We read the, the word. That's our ring finger. You study the word. That's your middle finger. You memorize the word. That's the index finger. You meditate on God's word. That's the thumb. And then apply. It goes across the palm. Uh, these all are important ways to get into God's word. For example, think of it like this. If the only way you get spiritual input into your life is you hear God's word maybe once a week at church, that would be like trying to get a grip like this. And it's not very strong. It's pretty easy for that to be taken away from you. Satan can steal your joy. He can steal the truth uh, from you. You forget what you heard. Uh, There's a stat out there that makes pastors weep, I have to tell you. And it's this, we forget 95% of everything we hear within 72 hours. And so, you know, that's for those of you who have good memories. By Wednesday, you don't know most of what you heard today. Some of the others of you, you'll forget by dinner uh, tonight. But if we just hear the word of God, we, we don't retain it. But if you hear the word of God and then you read the word of God, now you're getting a little bit better grip. You're getting God's word into your life every day. And then if you also study God's word, and you're, you're thinking about what it has to say, you're, you're working through some questions and issues, and then you go farther than that. You take some of God's word, and you memorize that word, and then you meditate on that word, with the, like the thumb represents that, and then you apply God's word. Now you're getting a firm grasp on the truth of God's word. We need all of these ways to be built into our lives. See, for the next 40 days, we're going to teach you how to hear, how to read, how to study and memorize and meditate and apply the Word of God, particularly, specifically, in the area of prayer. See, we're going to help you build some habits into your life so that you grow more spiritually mature, so you can learn how God wants you to live. 
Now, I have several specific action steps for you today. And here's the first one. Write this down. Uh, A daily time with God for 40 days. If this is not part of your life already, and it is for many of you, for the next 40 days, we are asking you to spend five minutes, 15 minutes, whatever you can, just feeding on God's word. Just feeding on God's word. Second law of spiritual growth. We grow when we learn in different ways. Now, God made us all different. We're all unique. There's no one in the world exactly like you. Even identical twins are are different in thousands of ways. You have a unique fingerprint, unique voice print, unique eye print, unique footprint. You have a unique heartbeat, and you have a unique learning style. You learn differently from the person sitting next to you. And so to really grow, it it is helpful for us to understand who we are, how God made us, to understand our learning style, and and also to use a variety of learning styles. Uh, Luke 3.18 says this about John the Baptist. In many different ways, John preached the good news to the people and urged them to change their ways. So how did John preach in different ways? Well, we're not told, and so we don't know exactly what his different ways were. But I wonder if we get kind of a clue by looking at Jesus' ministry. If you study the way Jesus taught, it becomes really apparent that Jesus didn't teach the same way all the time. Sometimes Jesus declared truth with authority. God said it. That settles it. But other times, Jesus told stories, and we call those stories parables. They're drawn from everyday life. Sometimes, have you noticed this? Jesus shocked people with hyperbole. Jesus exaggerated. Jesus said outrageous things, made outrageous examples. They were designed to capture attention. Sometimes Jesus crafted very memorable sayings. We don't always see those in the translation, but they would have been riveting to the people who first heard them the way Jesus crafted them. Sometimes Jesus used object lessons like visual illustrations to help understand truth. Sometimes he just asked questions. He put it out there and let it sit. And sometimes Jesus crafted experiences. He created experiences for people by teaching, and then he demanded a response from them. He said, you have to take action. Now, all of these ways, they're designed to help people learn. And we know today that different people have different learning styles. And this is important for 40 days of prayer because we're going to use some multiple learning styles uh, throughout the next 40 days. It's actually at the heart of what makes a campaign different than just a a regular sermon series. Uh, For example, some of you here right now are auditory learners. You you learn by listening uh, through the ear. If you're an auditory learner, you love church. Why? Because that's the main way most churches teach. You know, it's what we're doing right now. You sit still while the teacher instills. And if you learn best that way, it's a really good thing for you. But there's a couple problems with that. First, like I already mentioned, we forget much of what we learn unless we write it down. That helps. But second, a lot of people aren't primarily auditory learners. Some people say, well, I don't really like to listen, but I like to read or watch. I'm a visual learner. Show me, don't tell me. I see it, I can do it, I can watch a video, I can read a book, I I can learn by looking. Some people 
and some of you are oral learners. You learn by talking. And oral learners love small groups. Why? Because that's where you get to talk, and so that's where you really learn. And you can't talk in a crowd this big, so maybe you're not learning quite as much, but in a small group, you can talk, and your mind really starts engaging. In fact, we all know people whose mind doesn't really engage until their mouth engages. Now, don't look at them. Um, (laughs) I know also some people, their minds don't engage even when their mouth engages. Uh, but this is a way that some people learn best. And, and some of you, you don't really think about stuff until you're talking about it. It's like your thoughts clarify as you are speaking. And it's important for you to talk about what you believe because that actually helps form what you believe. And I have to say, by the way, this is not an excuse for any of us not to listen It's not an excuse for you to talk all the time. You can't talk all the time because you're an oral learner. That's not permitted, okay? Just just want to be clear. And then then there are some people who say, I don't like to listen, I don't like to read, I don't like to talk. They are called men. (laughs) Now, this is a generalization, but it's true. Lots of guys are kinesthetic learners. Also, so are some women. And people who, are, who learn like this, they learn by doing. Nobody learns to play football reading a manual. Nobody learns to play golf listening to a lecture. Kinesthetic learners learn by doing, and that may uh, be some of you. Now, all of these styles, they're, they're not right or wrong. God just made us different. And the point is this. During the next 40 days, you're, you're going to be learning, and we're going to be teaching a about this one area of truth, prayer, but in different ways. Uh, You're going to learn through the ear with a message each Sunday on prayer. You're going to learn through the eye by watching seven videos about prayer in your small groups. You're going to learn through the mouth uh, by discussing prayer also in your small groups. You're going to read a daily devotional. That's visual You're going to use your hands to do some projects with your small group. You'll be hearing more about that as we continue on. And I just want to be clear. If all you do, and some of you, this has been your plan, and I'm going to tell you right now, it's a bad plan. If all you do is come on Sunday and listen to the messages, you will not get all that God has for you. The Sunday messages are only a fraction of the campaign. We have so many other things that we're going to be doing, and most of them happen in a small group. That's where you're going to be learning in all of these different ways. Now, again, God understands this. God made you. In Job 33, 14, it says God speaks in different ways, and we don't always recognize his voice. God speaks in different ways because people learn in different ways, and people need to experience truth in a variety of styles. Another thing I want to say is that none of this is an excuse to avoid certain things. God doesn't want any of us to say, well, I'm not an auditory learner, so I don't need to go to church and listen to messages, or I'm not an oral learner, so I don't need to go to small group. All of us get something from all of these styles, even if a style is not our our, our best style. And in a campaign, we're going to be using all of these learning styles, and rather just hitting a truth one time with a message, we will hit it again and again and again with hearing and reading and studying and memorizing and meditating and then doing it. And we'll do all of that with other people in our groups. Does that make sense? 
See, this is where we're going. It's much more than just a, a simple sermon series, much more complex. Third law, third law of spiritual growth. We grow when we develop spiritual habits. Now, I cannot overestimate with you the importance of building good habits in your life. Good habits lead to a good character. Good character leads to a great destiny. In the end, your habits ultimately determine where you go in life. So your character really is the sum total of your habits. See, you, you can't say, I'm a kind person if you're only kind 25% of the time, right? Uh, that's all you are kind, you're not a kind person. Uh, if you say, well, I have integrity, I'm an honest person, but you're only honest 25% of the time, what do we call people who are only honest 25% of the time? We call them liars, right? They are liars. You don't have integrity because integrity means you're habitually honest. Like, like if I said to my wife, honey, I'm going to be faithful to you 28 days a month. I mean, where am I sleeping? Somewhere very, very cold. That's where I'm sleeping. Because partial faithfulness is unfaithfulness. I can't say I'm a faithful husband if I'm just faithful most of the time. Now, there are, there are lots of habits that the Bible teaches that we need to grow in our spiritual lives. We talk about some of the basic ones in Discovery Tool 1. If you haven't taken that class, it's coming soon. You want to get signed up. Uh, during 40 days, we're going to focus in on four specific habits. And we're going to talk about these in just a minute, but I want to show you some verses first. In John 13, 17, Jesus says this. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Say, if you do them. If you do them. If you, do them. you don't get God's blessing for knowing the right thing to do. You get God's blessing for doing the right thing. And that means you are making it a habit in your life, a habit of obedience. How do you develop habits? The answer is real simple, by repetition. By repetition. Why does a spiritual growth campaign last 40 days? Well, here's the answer. Study after study shows that it takes around six weeks to develop a new habit. Whether it's exercise or a diet or even a spiritual habit, you have to do something every day for six weeks before it actually becomes a habit in your life. Those studies tell us it takes about three weeks uh, to get uh, comfortable with something new in your life, and then another three weeks to get it ingrained in your life. Uh, for example, I think everyone here pretty much knows that it is a good idea to read the Bible and pray every day, right? That it would actually make us stronger spiritually. But reality is many of us don't have a daily time with God. And part of the reason why is that you've never gone six weeks without missing. You've never built it as a habit that's ingrained in your life. Here's what a lot of us have done. And some of you have already done this so far in the new year. You heard me preach on getting into God's word a couple weeks ago. You said, I got to do that in 2019. I got to make this part of my life. And so you read the Bible and you pray for a day, but then you miss the next day. You read the Bible. You come back on day after that, read the Bible a couple of days, and then you miss three days. Uh, you read the Bible for three days in a row, and then you miss a week, and it just keeps kind of going like that. It never really gets built deeply into your life. You don't develop the habit because you have to do it every day until it gets ingrained. 
And the way many of us do this is kind of like rolling up a ball of string and then we drop it and it rolls away and it unravels and we roll it up again and then we drop it again and we never really get anywhere. We want to help you develop habits that you will use the rest of your life to grow. And if you will do the things that we're going to be teaching about every day for the next 40 days, it can become a part of your life. Now, some of you right now, today, you are here and you used to do the things I'm talking about, but you haven't been recently. This is a wonderful time for you to pick that back up again and start that habit that you used to have, begin building it into your life again, making it part of who you are. Because when you develop and live out good habits, you grow. Look at the next verse. Hebrews 5.14 says, But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, that could be translated their minds, trained by constant practice. See, that's called habit right there. Trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. See, one of, the, one of the reasons you have a lot of problems in your life is you make bad decisions, and you make bad decisions because you don't know what to do. It's like, is this right or wrong? Is this wise or is this foolish? Is this good or is this evil? You don't know. Spiritually mature people have learned by training constant practice to know the difference, to know the difference. Uh, maybe you've heard this illustration before. It's a pretty old one. Uh, but it, the United States government, when they train uh, treasury agents how to identify counterfeit bills, they don't give them counterfeit money. They give them real $20 bills, real $100 bills. They give them real money, and those agents study those bills, and they pour over those bills, and they memorize those bills. They meditate on those bills. They immerse their lives in knowing what those bills look like. And so when they see a counterfeit, it stands out because they know the real deal. And way too many Christians, we get sidetracked and we get deceived by counterfeit ideas and teachings because we do not know the real thing. Why does this happen? It's because we're not mature. Well, how do you get mature? Habits of taking in solid food. Constant practice that trains the mind to discern. You do it over and over and over. It's repetition and it's practice. Rick Warren says the difference between successful people and unsuccessful people is simply this. Successful people put the time and energy into developing habits and disciplines that unsuccessful people are unwilling to to develop. See, truth is, successful people are usually just normal people who decide to develop good habits. You determine your habits, and then your habits determine you. And unsuccessful people are all too often just unwilling to pay the price of developing habits. And what is true in the physical world is true in your spiritual life. I hate to bring up this morning a, a painful subject for Raider fans. Um, actually, this is church, so I should be honest. I don't hate to bring it up. Um, but I read an article in ESPN Magazine a while back about Tom Brady. And uh, pretty much all of us who are NFL fans in any way know that Brady's the most successful NFL quarterback of all time. 
Uh, you probably know that he's 41 years old and probably know that today he is just one game away from his ninth Super Bowl. And he is still at his age one of the very best players in the NFL. And the question is, how in the world did Tom Brady get so good still being this old? How did he get to be so good? Well, his habits provide a huge part of the answer because Tom Brady is incredibly, even obsessively disciplined. Every morning, this article talks about his habits. Every morning, as soon as he gets up, before his feet hit the floor, he drinks 20 ounces of purified water. He's a big believer in hydration. He trains four hours every day. He does these pliability exercises every day with a trainer. Um, Even though he's an athlete and a large man, he eats very small portions of food, just enough and not more. All of that food is prepared to maintain the alkalinity of his body. Every night he goes to sleep at 9 p.m., and he goes to sleep in a room uncontaminated by technology or pet dander. And he goes to sleep wearing, quote, bioceramic recovery sleepwear. I don't know what that is. It sounds impressive. (laughs) The point is Tom Brady is willing to pay the price to stay in peak physical and mental condition. And he lives by habits that other people are unwilling to develop, even other elite professional athletes. 1 Corinthians 9.25 says, Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Tom Brady has gone into strict training to win trophies and make a lot of money. Christ followers train spiritually to get a crown that will last forever. See, the habits that you build into your spiritual life. They pay off today, and they will pay off tomorrow. But more important than that, they will pay off forever, into eternity, into eternity. Now, during 40 days of prayer, we're going to focus on four habits. You can see them on the screen. The first is the habit of weekly large group worship. That's what we're doing right now, and you need this as part of your life. Don't think this is an optional thing, gathering together with God's people. Then there's a habit of small group fellowship. You need that as well. And then there's a habit of a daily time alone with God where you read God's word, the Bible, and you pray. God talks to you and you talk to him. Notice there's a large group and small group, and then it's personal. Three different kinds of habits. And then there's the habit of memorizing God's word. And these four habits will change your life more than almost any other thing that you can do. Now, many of you have already purchased a 40 Days of Prayer journal. If you haven't, I want to encourage you to get hold of one today. Um, You're going to find a lot of tools in this, uh, this book that will help you build these habits into your life. Very, very practical. Uh, These habits are not just like made up. We see them actually in the Bible. I don't know if you realize this or not, but all the New Testament churches were organized specifically around those first two habits, large group worship, small group fellowship. We actually see this at the very first church in Jerusalem with the very first Christians. This is how they organized themselves, Acts 2, 46 through 47. It says every day they continued to meet together. Notice this is describing a habit, right? Every day meeting together. And they did this in the temple courts. So this describes for us Larger group worship, kind of like what we're doing now. Then it says they broke bread in their homes 
and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So this is more like small group fellowship because there are things we can do here that we cannot do in a small group. But on the other hand, there are things we can do in a small group that we cannot do here. See, we, we, we can't pray specifically for your needs here in a group this size. In a group this size, you can't say, I've had a tough week. You can't say, I need help in this area of my life. You can't say, my life is falling apart, or I'm broken, and I'm hurting, and I need support. You can't ask a question about something you don't understand. See, there are a lot of things you can do in a small group you cannot do in a larger group like this. But the point is, you need them both. And notice verse 47, it says, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I want you to notice the joy. And I want you to notice how other people outside the church saw the joy. See, these early believers, Luke says, were enjoying the favor of all the people. Uh, One translation says, the people in the community liked what they saw in these people. And as a result, people were being saved every day. You know, if there was one verse in the Bible that I would want to be true about Southwind's church, I think it would be this verse. I would like for people who live on our street and live in our communities to look at us and to go, those people, they have joy. Those people, look at their freedom they, they have the same problems that I have, but they don't seem as stressed. They seem like they actually have peace. peace. They're, they're not being driven by their, their feelings. And when people see that and when people think that, they will sooner or later say, I want to check that out. I want to know more about that. And when that happens, lives get changed. And when that happens, communities get changed because Jesus is changing our neighbors' lives. Here's the thing. How does that happen? It happens as we become people like that, and that happens as we develop their habits, as we live the way the Bible tells us to live. Number four, fourth law of spiritual growth. We grow when we help each other grow. You cannot grow to spiritual maturity and become who God wants you to be by yourself. And some of you need to stop trying to do that. God wired us in such a way that no one grows to maturity by themselves. People who live in spiritual isolation are always spiritually weak and immature because spiritual growth is inherently relational. Romans 1.12, Paul says, I want us to help each other with the faith we have. Your faith will help me And my faith will help you. (coughs) On this Friday, if you haven't heard yet, uh, our Celebrate Recovery Ministry is going to be celebrating 10-year, 10-year anniversary for our amazing ministry. And I want you to know you are all invited. If you've never been to a Celebrate Recovery meeting, you're invited to come at 7 p.m. Anyone who's ever been a part of CR, they would tell you about what we're talking about here, how absolutely essential relationships are in recovery. What's true in recovery, though, is true for every one of us spiritually. You need other people in your life, other believers in your life. There are at least 56 commands in the New Testament that you cannot obey 
unless you're in relationship with other believers. You say, what are you talking about? Well, uh, these are called the one another commands. And to obey them, you have to be in relationship with other believers. Uh, They're the commands that say love one another, serve one another, encourage one another, pray for one another. You, You cannot do that by yourself, and you cannot do that in a crowd. So 56 times, it's like God says, the only way you grow is in community. The only way you grow is in relationships. You know, the Bible says in another place, the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. The ear can't say to the eye, I don't need you. I mean, we all know a hand severed from the body is worthless. An eye that's severed can't see. An ear that's severed can't hear. And you have to be connected to the body of Christ to grow. This is actually the exact opposite of every other faith. Pretty much every other faith says the holiest and most pure person, that's the one who isolates themselves and gets away from dirty, filthy, evil humanity. They go up under the mountains and they live in a cave or they go out in the desert where nobody is, away from people. But Jesus says, no, I made you to be with people. Jesus didn't hide in caves. In fact, Jesus... You notice this? Hung out with people all the time. Jesus went to parties and he went to weddings. He spent so much of his time hanging out at parties, the religious people called him a glutton and a drunk. Now, why is being in a small group and being with other people important to your spiritual growth? Here's the answer. You need to hear this. The number one thing God wants you to learn in life is how to love. Right? The first and greatest commandment, love God. The commandment that comes after that, love your neighbor. That's the most important thing to do in life, how to love God, how to love other people. And you can't learn to love other people by yourself. Has anyone else ever noticed this? See, for some of you, you came to hear what I'm about to say right now. The very reason you don't want to be in a small group is the very reason you need to be in a small group. See, some of you think, well, someone might disagree with me or someone might make me uncomfortable. Well, you need that. All of us need to be with people different from us who think differently than we do because it challenges our self-centeredness. It helps us learn to think about other people. I mean, we all know this. The most selfish person on earth is a baby, right? All a baby knows is his own wants and needs. It is only when that baby grows and becomes more mature that he can actually start thinking about other people. And some people never grow up. It's always about me. My schedule, not yours. My problems, not yours. My needs, definitely not yours. Who cares about that? (laughs) My priorities, not yours. It's always, always about me. And we need each other because we only grow when we're in community, when we're in groups. Now, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, Let us be concerned for one another to help one another show love and to do good. Let us not give up the habit, notice that word again, of meeting together as some are doing. And by the way, this is talking primarily about small groups. We usually like to apply it to church on Sundays, but it's talking mostly about small groups because in the New Testament, there really weren't any church buildings. There really weren't any church buildings for about 300 years like we know 
them, church, happen really mainly in homes, in small groups. The writer continues, instead, let us encourage one another all the more since you see that the day of the Lord is coming nearer. See, we just get encouraged to follow Christ when we're together with people. So here's the action step. You can write this down. If you want to grow, join a small group. Join a small group. You say, well, my life's too busy. I need my me time. In other words, what you're saying, I'll just tell you, I'm not willing to pay the price. I'm not willing to pay the price. And that means you are willing to remain immature. Uh, We have uh, 57 small groups here at Southwinds currently. These groups meet at different times. They meet on every uh, day of the week. There's there's all kinds of choices. You you have a, a listing of those groups in your program. Some of you may look at that and say, well, none of these groups work for me. Oh, hey, start a group for yourself. How many people does it take to start a group? Well, Jesus said, you remember this passage, Matthew 18, 20? He said, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there. So that's all you need. To start a small group, you just get a couple of friends and say, hey, you want to study this material on prayer for the next 40 days with me? That's it. I'm not asking you to do this for the rest of your life. It's just for 40 days. Some of you will say, well, I don't have any friends. That's a whole other issue, okay? Um, (laughs) But if that's what you say, I'm here to tell you, Pastor Chris says he will buy you two friends for the next six weeks, okay? (laughs) There really is no excuse. You need to get in a group. And if you're lost with this and don't know what to do, please talk to Pastor Chris or to me or one of our pastors. We will do everything we can to help you find a group. Number five, we grow when we expect to grow. Now, this is the the faith factor. Jesus said in in Matthew 9, 29, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And this is just telling us that God blesses our lives according to our faith. It's like, in a sense, God says, you get to choose how much I bless you, how much I use your life, how much your life succeeds. I have a question. What do you expect to happen in your life the next 40 days? If you expect nothing to happen, guess what's going to happen? Nothing. Nothing. According to your faith, let it be done to you. See, I highly recommend that before this day is over, maybe right now you can do this, but maybe later this afternoon you need to take time to think about that you make a goal, that you make a goal for yourself, set a goal, say, this is what I want to see happen in my life during these next 40 days. And then you start praying, God, God, this is what I want to see you do in my life the next 40 days. God, I want to be stronger in this area. I want to see movement in this area. I want to see breakthrough in my life. And if you study the Bible, you learn that God does not move and God does not bless you for your complaining. God moves and God blesses those who trust in him. And every time God moves in someone's life, it's because someone believed and someone trusted God. So if you want God to do something in your life, what do you expect to happen? You need to make a goal and you need to begin praying about it. You don't want to waste the next 40 days. Tell God, I'm expecting you to work in my life and I'm praying about it. Start out this campaign with a spirit of faith. Number six. We grow when we commit to grow. 
See, again, growth is a choice. We talk about this in 201 class, especially spiritual growth is not automatic. As I said, you can grow older without growing up, and so you must choose to grow. You, you must choose to build habits and make the effort. You have to make the choice. I want to ask a very personal question. A year from today, how different do you intend to be? Do you intend to be more mature, more like Jesus Christ a year from today, or or are you just going to be stuck in the same place that you are right now, this morning, the same person, no different, no change in 2020? See, it's your choice, really. A year from today, there are some of you here right now, and you are going to be much more mature. Your life is going to look much more like Jesus Christ. But some of you, you'll be stuck. You'll still be like a baby walking around in diapers. Why? Because you didn't choose to grow, because you weren't willing to pay the price. See, the bottom line spiritually is we are all as close to God as we choose to be. Like somebody said one time, if you feel far from God, he didn't move. And you're as close to God as you want to be. Some of you, some of you blame your spiritual problems on your spouse, or you blame them on your parents, or you blame them on your job, or you blame them on your health. But you're as close to God as you want to be. Growth is a choice. And so you need to be willing to make the effort and build the habits for growth. I just go back to the question, which is the title of this message. Do you really want to grow up? And if so, how badly do you want to grow up? If so, what are you willing to do to grow? Are you willing to practice these habits for the next 40 days? And if you are right now saying, nah, I don't think so, then you're telling me you're not really willing and wanting to grow. God puts it pretty bluntly in Jeremiah 29, 13. I love the message paraphrase of this familiar verse. He says, when you come looking for me, you'll find me. Yes, when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else, I'll make sure you won't be disappointed. See, God says, or we have to say, God, I want to grow. We have to say, God, I'm tired of being a spiritual baby. I'm tired of being ruled by my emotions or by the opinions of other people. I'm tired of being dominated by my fears and anxieties and my depressions. I don't like the problems that I have, God, with anger and with sex. God, I want to grow up. I want to be a woman of God. I want to be a man of God. See, that's a choice. That's a choice. Well, what's the action step on this last one? Covenant with others. Uh, Again, We grow better when we make a decision in community. It's just easier to change. Have you noticed this when other people are changing with you? How many of you have decided, I'm going to go on a diet, I need to lose some weight, and you ask someone else um, to do that with you? That's kind of dangerous to say, hey, you want to diet with me because you're suggesting some things you (laughs) need to be good friends. But how many of you have done something like that? Because it's easier if you're in that together, right? How many of you decide, I want to exercise, and you get a partner, you get a training buddy, you get someone who holds you accountable, someone who, who works with you. It's the same thing spiritually. It's easier to grow when you make a covenant and a commitment with other people to grow. 
One of the things that I run into from time to time is people who say, I don't like to make commitments. I don't really want to make a covenant even with God. And here's my response to that. Why? Why? You make covenants with everyone else. In fact, you can't live in our culture without making covenants. You say, what are you talking about? Well, it happens all the time. How many of you drive a car? Pretty much everybody. A few of you may have paid for that car with cash. I'm guessing the vast majority of you are making monthly payments. You signed on the dotted line and said, yes, I will pay for this car until it's paid off. Is that true? Talk to me. How many of you are living in a house? I really want to check on this one right now. Raise your hand if you have a house, you're living in a house. Okay, I know that nobody has paid their house off completely. Well, maybe a couple of you have, but you know what I'm saying. You are paying for the house for 30 years. It's never going to end. You're going to die before that house is paid off, right? You signed like 352 signatures on all those pieces of paper saying, I will pay for this house every month until I'm dead, right? Can I get a witness? You know, uh, this is just the way that we live. You, you can't even have a job without making a covenant. You tell your employer, I'm going to show up on these days and these hours. You can't even get married without making a covenant. You said, I do until death do us part. You can't do anything in life without commitment. You know, we all get this. The epitome of immaturity is the guy who won't commit. And fear of commitment is the ultimate example of immaturity. The only way you grow is you make commitments and you grow into them. Some of you are saying, but I don't know what to do. Well, of course, you don't know what to do. But you make the commitment and then you grow into that commitment. See, some of us got married and then we said, let's have kids, right? Some of us, the kids just said, I'm coming, even though we weren't planning, But we end up, when that happens, we make a commitment to be a parent. Now, let me ask a question. Seriously, did any of you here know ahead of time how to be a parent? Please don't raise your hand, okay? Because then I'll know you're lying. I'll have to talk about something else, okay? Of course, we don't know how to be parents. Nobody knows how to be a parent before they're a parent. That's why you have another kid so you can do it right the second time, right? And we call our oldest child the experimental model, And you don't know. You just make the commitment, and then you grow into that. That's all I'm asking you to do. You make a commitment to the most important thing in your life, spiritual growth, and you grow into it. See, the goal we have for all of us is the last verse in your notes, 2 Corinthians 13, 9. Our greatest wish and prayer is that you will become mature Christians. See, the bottom line really is, what are you going to do for the next six weeks? Nothing. Are you going to miss out and watch everyone else around you grow and watch everyone around you get blessed? Or are you going to step up and make some choices and make some commitments and begin practicing these habits that God has for us, these habits which determine the rest of our lives and even determine our eternal rewards? Do you really want to grow up? That's God's question for us this morning. Would you bow your heads? as we pray together.